Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models, episode 27. I'm Steve Kwan. I'm Matt Kwan. Hold on a second. Are you the Matt Kwan who just released Modern Jiu-Jitsu with Stefan Kesting? Uh, I think that's what we're calling it. <laughs> the Matt Kwan. Why don't you talk a little bit about this amazing instructional DVD? Thanks for the shameless plug, Steve. Uh, yeah, it's just... I get no commission off of this, by the way. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, we just released our uh, DVD, Modern Jiu-Jitsu. It's, uh, it's a completely inverted style jiu-jitsu game that just gives a conceptual breakdown of the Barambolo, the crab ride, all different types of back takes and uh, truck attacks and lots of good stuff in there. Um, if you're not really familiar with the inverted style jiu-jitsu game that you see by a lot of some of the the lighter uh, competitors in the competition scene, like the Mayo brothers, and you know when the Mendez bros did compete, um, they did a lot of barambolos and upside down stuff. So it sort of breaks down what they're doing and and uh, you know the control and the grips and different mechanisms that can make it effective. So definitely check it out. Is this something that requires a really advanced understanding of jujitsu, or do you think this is appropriate for white belts as well? Well, I mean, I, at white belt, I think I I would stress that the fundamentals are going to be your your best foundation for sure. Like, I wouldn't recommend you get right into leg locks before you have an idea of how to pass the guard. But at the same time, I think it is good to sort of stimulate the mind. and And if you're new to the game, it's not gonna it's definitely not gonna hurt your game to under to to think about going upside down and and uh, developing an inversion game from the start. But definitely the foundational aspects of jujitsu, I think, are most important so you know if you're a white belt check out the instructional so i'm assuming that as a white belt you would at least be interested in learning this material so that you can defend against it even if your immediate priority is not to start inverting because even if you're not doing that right now your opponent might decide to do that to you yeah and 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 you know this type of game it really isn't for everyone of course if you're uh if you certain body types and and you know attributes are going to either allow you to do this or they're going to hinder you from uh exploring this style of game there's going to be people out there oh well i would just punch you in the face in a real fight okay this is you know primarily a sport bjj um game plan and strategy so you know i've already received a lot of uh, a lot of messages from people being very critical about how this is this would not be effective in the street but you know i mean this is brazilian jiu-jitsu so if you see any uh any high level competitors lightweight and under they're probably going to go upside down at some point and it's important to just understand the new trends and and uh and the sport as it evolves so you know whether or not that that's really your cup of tea it is important to understand so you can shut guys down at least Guys, I'm going to blow your mind. Not everything is designed to be effective in the street. Some things are designed for sport or for fun. 
uh, not everything is designed to stop like a two-on-one knife attack. I got these. I got these YouTube comments already. The, there's a trailer on the, on YouTube that's been up for an hour, and already I got this guy calling me a, a beta male and calling me a bitch and, and criticizing and criticizing going inverted in jujitsu because it's quote not not acceptable for the street. I would just ground and pound and maybe use some judo to get the fight to the ground. Because so. clearly this guy <laughs> is either a high-level UFC fighter or an yeah. Olympic judo athlete. Yeah, and he, and he also said, I've seen your videos of Steph and you're a bitch. I'm like, oh my God. Wow. Yeah, enjoy, enjoy spanking it in your mom's basement. <laughs> Anyways. Anyway, if you're interested in learning more about the modern jiu-jitsu game, this instructional series is available on Grapple Arts. It's also available on the iTunes and Android apps. And if you want to talk shit to Matt, you can go on to YouTube. <laughs> Matt loves it when you just go on there and engage him in yeah. intellectual conversation. Yeah, please please challenge me on YouTube. I, w- I definitely will respond. Uh, and and uh, I'm really proud of this instructional. I've, I've worked really hard on it and also had a lot of input from Professor Rob and, of course, Stefan Casting. He's just, uh, you know, BJJ internet legend. And uh, we've really tried to concept, make it conceptual and all the lever mechanics, all those concepts that we, we have in our system and that we've discussed in the past are... You know, throughout the entire DVD, there's, like I said, back takes and rolling back takes and uh, there's a submission section and then there's a, you know, drill section. There's a troubleshooting section, defending and reversing. So it's it's quite uh, it's quite comprehensive and I'm really proud of it. So I hope you guys definitely check it out. Yeah, and um, yeah, a big thank and talk shit. I hope you talk <laughs> yeah. shit. Yeah, and of course, a big thank you to Stefan, who um, I'm hoping is still alive by the time that we release this episode, because as of right now, he's about to leave on some thousand mile like internal emotional journey up into the Arctic or something. I'm not, I'm not quite sure what he's doing. I think he's getting on a kayak and just doing like a solo trip up to. I'm, I'm kind of wondering if this is like how like elephants go to the elephant graveyard to die. Like, is, <laughs> are there like a bunch of like internet black belts? who just like they go and they take their final voyage up into Alaska and that's the last anyone ever hears of them. It's like that movie Into the Wild. (laughs) Um, You know, God bless you, Stefan. I hope you come back nice and safe. I know you're you're packing heat up there in case any polar bears give you any trouble. So, you know. When in doubt, just use Barambolo and try and try and get it on tape if you can. Yeah, It'd be great if, for my DVD. If you can get a, a Barambolo <laughs> on a polar bear, I want to see that. And that might not be that crazy. I mean, there was that story from Japan of some like 60-year-old oh, guy God. who... He threw the bear yeah, off the cliff. Yeah, he did a judo throw on a yeah. bear while he was out picking mushrooms. Like yeah. this kind of stuff, you know, hey... You can say what you want about these techniques not being designed for a real fight, but if a 60-year-old Japanese man can do a tomoanage on a bear yeah. off a mountain, then there must be something to yeah, it. It's, it's Japanese martial arts folklore, so you know it's true. <laughs> yeah, I saw it on the internet, so I, it's got to be true, right? Because what else would it be doing up there? Anyway, oh God. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent BJJ approach. I think that, is I think it? That, yeah. We might have to revise that because I am no longer sure if this is conceptual or intelligent yeah yeah maybe we should just start again (laughs) seven minutes and we're just getting to the tagline now Uh, so today's episode we're we're still talking about instructor related topics uh today we want to talk about the 
dark side of jiu-jitsu. Uh, this is going to be an interesting one. We've talked in the past about the bad stuff that goes on in a gym. I think way back in the early days of the show, we talked about how to deal with things like gym drama or un- unreasonable ex- expectations from your coach. But when you're a student, you know, you can walk away from these problems. You can just leave the gym. Uh, and in fact, if you're a student, a lot of the time, you can kind of, you know, maybe just hide and, and disregard and sneak into the background and maybe the problem won't affect you. But when you're an instructor, you don't have that luxury. This is your gym. Everything that happens in the gym, regardless of whether or not it was you who did it, is ultimately your mm. responsibility. Mm. There is no dodging these issues. Um, uh, you know, if a bad action is taken by one of your students, that rep- that is going to hit your reputation and it's going to ripple right up to you. And, uh, you know, as of right now, I mean, th- we're recording this um, a few weeks in advance, but there was that clip that just went viral on the internet of one of Fabio Gurgel's guys in Ecuador, just like... The well, lockdown? Yeah, you lock down oh, this dude God. and then just like slap them in the face and... What? Went- That's not what i heard happened no dude watch it like he he the guy one of his students locked down him and he yeah he, put, he did that um that like that leg lock where you yeah. like sit back and then he just started slapping the dude in the face oh i thought he blew out his knee i didn't actually well, watch the video because i heard the video was the guy blowing out his knee and i don't really want to watch that it, if i don't have it to. wasn't really like there, there wasn't like some visible blowing out of a knee basically oh, okay. it was the student winced um i heard the student tapped although I, I didn't see that but then the instructor just starts slapping him in the face now i have never been to ecuador <laughs> and i do not know what is considered cool and appropriate in Ecuador. But I can tell you that in like in where we're from, <laughs> if you were to trap a guy into submission, refuse to let him go, and then just start slapping him in the face, probably not going to go over well. Uh, <laughs> but this is a good Jesus. example of how to, you know, of how this can become a big problem for you because this escalated right up and now Fabio Grigel has had to respond about it. And it, as of this discussion, it's still going on on the internet and who knows what's going to come of it. Yeah. And, and like you mentioned, Steve, if you're a, if you're a student at the gym or a lower rank you could probably just either leave or just you know ignore it and and sort of just focus on yourself but even if you're uh not only if you're an instructor but if you're just a higher ranking student in general and maybe people are starting to look to you to take on more of an instructor role it is going to become a little bit of you know whether or not you like it it's going you're going to be involved at some point so um you know like you discussed taking ownership as an as a as a gym owner is basically what you have to do and this sort of follows i I don't know if we have it as a mental model, but uh, for example, Jocko Willink's book Extreme Ownership is a prime example of, of uh, you know, what a gym owner should do in a situation when he, they have a con- conflict between students or or there's drama. If, if you don't take ownership of the problem and you sort of hope that it goes away, uh, it's probably not going to go away and, and uh, it, it really is up to you to take that ownership and, and make sure that it, uh, it's dealt with and swiftly dealt with. Yeah. We actually do have that listed as a mental model, and this refers to uh, Jocko Willink's excellent book, Extreme Ownership, where he his thesis is basically that when you have a problem in your life, it doesn't matter who's to blame. That's irrelevant. Uh, but you do want to make it your responsibility because you can only fix problems if you make them your responsibility. If your action is to try to, you know, avoid the, the situation or try to blame someone else, first of all, that's going to make you look really weak. It's going to damage your relationships, but it's also going to prevent that problem from getting fixed. And as a gym owner, you definitely cannot afford to try to deflect the 
the blame or deflect these problems. It is your responsibility yeah. to fix them, even if you actually had no involvement in what happened. You still need to take ownership and get in there and resolve the problem. Yeah, when back when I was a, a chef in the culinary field, it would you know you'd come in the next day, and the person who was working your station the night before, maybe they screwed you completely, or you know they eighty six a few eighty six just means they they completely ran an item on your station out, and you don't have anything. You don't have your your mise en place or your prep, and you're left in the morning basically uh, in the weeds, as we call it, which means you're, you're completely you know out of an item and you're you're kind of in rough shape before service. It's even though they they did leave you in a bad state. Um, it's your station. It's still up to you. So extreme ownership is something that uh, throughout my culinary career really helped me. It's not necessarily a uh, it's not a fun way to deal with things because you're not allowed to blame other people. And even though someone, it might be someone's responsibility for taking care of you as you do for them, it's still your responsibility to perform. So if, you know, if you know you can't accomplish certain tasks, you need to delegate work to people so that the tasks still get accomplished regardless. So taking that ownership will really provide you with a lot of skills that will make you uh, successful in other areas of life, especially if you're going to become an entrepreneur or or you know have a have a business one day that's really the only way to ensure that things get done is by by taking action and doing it yourself extreme ownership is a very important concept to to accomplish a lot of these goals got it so I, I think that as we go through some of these different topics, we can maybe start off with some of the more softball things and then kind of get into the the uglier issues that can happen when you're running a gym. Matt, I guess one of the first and foremost things are issues related to your students. So mm-hmm. if you are running a gym, it is inevitable and actually, you know, it, it will happen often that your students get injured during your class. And yeah. these can, these injuries can vary, right? We, they, it can be something as simple as like a, you know, like a sprained finger or a scratch and, you know, it's, it's no big deal. It can also be a really, really serious injury. You know, I think we, oh, everyone's God. probably been there at some point where, you know, some student gets just like catastrophically injured and they're on the mats crying uh. and it's like, oh man, what do I do now? Um, and, you know, this, if you fail to handle this appropriately or properly, you can wind up in situations like the Marcus Soros, Joe Peters situation that we yeah. described earlier, right? Which episode was that? That was, I don't even remember. I think that was like episode 14. Um, but even, you know, regardless of whether you're right or you're wrong or whether it was, you know, what happened regarding the injury, if the relationship with that student is not properly handled mm-hmm. and they hold you responsible and they, they, you know, they're angry at you, then yeah, this kind of thing can happen and you want to avoid that right so Matt, I mean, I know, I know that you guys are, you don't really ha- <laughs> try to kill each other on the mats, but it does still happen. Um, what are your advice to, you know, what do you do as an instructor when two of your guys are rolling and one of them gets pretty badly injured on the mat? Uh, if he dies, he dies. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Have a really good waiver. <laughs> yeah. Make sure you have a really good uh, waiver. So weak. No, um, yeah, you, you're you're absolutely right. As uh, me being the gym owner and the head instructor, it's it's hundred percent my responsibility. If someone, um, if someone hurts someone else you know that that is still my responsibility but i try to i try to instill the idea that you know if i hurt someone it, it it's my fault like and i don't mean my i mean the person applying the submission or 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 whoever's using the attack and then you know my partner doesn't tap in time and as a result i crank it a little too hard it, it would be my responsibility so i really want i try to uh i try to get people to take ownership and to understand that they're responsible for their partner and uh you know ultimately it all falls on me i am the gym owner so so pretty much before every role, I always go over the basic 
rules that we have in the gym, which is no scissor takedowns, no jumping guard, try to limit the uncontrolled falling body weight, take care of each other, treat each other uh, with respect and, and just look out for each other because the longer you stay in jujitsu, the the more you realize that it's not necessarily about getting those little victories in the gym. It's more about being able to train the next day and, mm-hmm. you know, allowing people to, to preventing people from getting these catastrophic injuries that you talk about. So just again, extreme ownership is basically one of those, those things that I try and instill in the students and let them know that, uh, you know, we're all here just to practice. We're all here to actually help each other out. And, uh, it's, it's, you know, even though things can get competitive in the gym, I still want things to stay light. And I'd rather people roll uh, slightly lighter than necessary rather than go 110% every round because it's just not it's just not a sustainable way to train if you're if training every day is your goal. Yeah. And I know there's probably some people out there, uh, probably, uh, you know, higher level people that are saying, oh, that's a bunch of bullshit. You got to train hard every day if you want to win. It's like, yeah, that's true. But um, the majority of people in in uh, in most schools are not hardcore competitors. So, um, you know, if you're training for the worlds and you want someone, you know, you want 10 guys to line up and take your head off, fine. You know, that's you going to the worlds. But if it's uh, if it's average Joe who's got to go to work the next day, we really have to be taking care of each other and making sure that they can train the next day. Well, you also, even if you are training very competitively, you you still want to train smart. I mean, you want realistic quality resistance from your opponents, but you also don't want them to be, you know, doing things that could result in an injury so bad that you can't even compete, right? That That's kind of the, the nightmare scenario for a competitor is that, you know, a week before the competition, you get a big injury. So yeah. even when you are looking to have a high resistance against you, you still need to balance that against the need to stay healthy. Uh, it's, I don't know if there's a magic answer to that, but uh, to your point, Matt, the, the mentality that I like to instill in students is that it's very natural, especially when you're sparring with someone to be competitive with them. But I want people to have the mentality that you want the other person to win. You you want them to succeed. So when I'm sparring with you, if I if I get a sweep or a submission, sure I might be happy, but I will also I want you to get that too. I want you to be able to make that happen and I want to be you know, I, I will be happy for you if you succeed in tapping me or sweeping me or whatnot. Um, and it's important to have that mindset because you gotta you have to know at, at what point it is is no longer safe to try to scramble out of something and yeah. in in especially in when you're just training you need to be willing to let that go right you need to understand that there's really nothing on the line except for your ego and that's not really something that's valuable enough that it's worth protecting yeah and even more important when you're going with new guys because new guys don't have that understanding of you know when are they safe exactly when can they when can they escape a, a hold and they may they might not understand alignment they might not know when they're in like dire trouble right so it's important to especially when you're rolling with people who are maybe less experienced to to be ready to let go of that submission for for their own safety um i I don't really like the idea of of teaching someone a lesson by cranking something and they learn the hard way i you know like you said if you if you can be happy for someone i find that that's actually a, a mindset that really will help you throughout life if you have the ability to be happy for someone being successful not only are you going to live a much happier life, but you're going to see people around you succeed and great, great, uh, you know, take strides and, and, and improve their lives wherever they, they, uh, they're, you know, trying to achieve a lot of high level goals. So definitely having, being happy for someone, I think is a, it's a, it's a trait that a lot of people are lacking these days and it's, it holds people back for sure. So definitely think about that when you're, you know, when you're training with your partners, you always want to make sure that you're not the only one improving from a role, but that you're helping them improve. Yeah. Like we've talked about in the past, 
you will get better if everyone in the room gets better because the quality of your training partners is really what allows you to increase and accelerate the rate of your growth. This is part of having an abundance mindset. You need to understand that your training partner winning in the gym does not mean that anything has been taken away from you. If anything, you should be happy for them. You're going to learn more if you lose versus if you win. There's no stakes in the gym, right? It, this is part of having that healthy abundance mindset is to celebrate the wins of everyone else around you. Yeah. And, and it also just, it, it diminishes, uh, like selfishness. You mm-hmm. know, if you, if you have that mindset, then just as a byproduct, you're not going to be a selfish person. You're going to be, you're going to want what's best for everyone around you. And as a result, people will gravitate towards that. They'll recognize that. And, uh, you know, you're going to have lots of friends that do very well. So, you know, very, very important thing to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So, I mean, other issues, Matt, regarding students that can occur is when the relationship with the student goes south. So this can mean, for example, they might just ghost you. They might not be, they might cease to pay you. They might not be able to pay you. If they've signed a contract with you, they might just breach the contract. Yeah. Now that happens. Yeah. And exactly how much of a problem this is for you is going to depend on what kind of contracts you're signing. If it's Mm -hmm. month to month, it's probably not the end of the world, but if you've signed someone to a one-year agreement, that might be a different story. So, Matt, how do you, as, as a gym owner, deal with these kinds of problems when you have a student who either can't or won't pay you or just kind of, you just sort of dodges the conversation? Yeah. So, um, you know, growing growing up, I've, I've trained in, in schools where you do get locked into a contract and there's not much you can do about that. Uh, you could tell your credit card company to stop the payments, but then there's a chance you could get taken to small claims for breach of contract and things like that. Uh, the way contracts work at our school, the way that it's worked from day one, it's it's a very simple plan. And basically, we have month-to-month contract, we have six-month contracts, and we have year contracts. And if you sign up for a longer period of time, you get uh, considerable discounts for, you know, if if you sign up for a year at a time, it's going to cost you like 40 bucks cheaper per month than if you pay month to month, but you have to pay the year up front. Mm-hmm. So it's a large sum of money, but sum of money, but it's all up front. So, um, you know, you, you kind of get, uh, you kind of only pay for what you train. And I, I don't really, even though it is, you know, it's a smart business strategy to have like an automated payment where people are paying regardless of whether or not they show up. Um, the attitude I kind of have is if, you know, if you're not training, I, I don't really want your money. And I know there's going to be gym owners right now. They're saying, Matt, you're an idiot. Like you're losing so much money. It's true. I am losing money, but I know that, uh, that, uh, it fosters a sort of an honest relationship between me and my students where I'm saying, Hey, I'm not trying to lock you into something, you know, here, these are the contracts. It's cheaper if you buy it all up front. And that way, you know, you've already paid, but if you're, if you sign up for, um, you know, six months and you stop coming after a month, I usually message that person after, you know, a a month or a few weeks. And I say, Hey, like where I know you haven't been in the class. Is everything all right? Uh, you know, I, I, we can pause your contract or whatever. And I want you, I want to be completely open with you. I'm, I don't want to be, I don't want you to just be a number and then I'm collecting money. And then, you know, I never see you again. Um, I have very, 
in fact, I don't think I've had any students that come in and don't pay. That's that's not really a problem that I've had. I, I know that uh, at other schools I've seen that and I think it's I think people kind of get sour if they feel like they've been locked into a contract that they can't get out of. Right. So so I try to avoid something like that. I try and keep it as honest and as open with the dialogue as I can with the customer. And, and as a result, I've actually had really good, uh, good success because they see that I'm not trying to like screw them out of money and it, yeah, and it yeah. kind of helps from a business aspect. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. And I, I mean, another thing that you have to be mindful of is a lot of gyms do offer a discount if you pay in advance for one year. That's a very, very common program. But <clears throat> if you do offer that, there's yeah. there's always going to be someone who changes their mind and you need to yeah. be ready to deal with that. So maybe someone signs a one-year agreement and then four years yeah. in, they come back to you and they want their money back. You mean four for, months in? Sorry, four, four months in. Yeah. They come back and they want their money back yeah. either because they, they just don't like jiu-jitsu or they found a new gym or they're injured or they moved. Yeah. It's going to happen. And you have to be ready for that and have a plan for how you're going to deal with those situations. Yeah. 30, we, our policy is we need 30-day notice and then we honor the refund. That's it. Awesome. So even in the case of like a, if someone signs like a 12 month contract, you still pay them back the remainder? Yep. Um, the only, the only thing that we do with our contracts is, um, you know, if they sign up for 12 months, they come in for three months and they get those discounts. Then we just, we take the, so, so the three months that they did train, we charge them the, the monthly plan, which is the, you know, it's going to cost more than a year plan. And then we refund the rest of the money. Yeah. Um, there's, we, I find that a no questions asked policy is, it just makes things simpler. And, and honestly, I don't need to hear someone's answer. Like life happens. People get injured. They want to go train. They got to, you know, move somewhere else they, or they just want to quit altogether. That's fine. I, I, I'm going to have a conversation with them about that. That's brief. And, I, and I'm not looking to, you know, I'm not making judgment on anything. We just, we just give them their money back. And it ha- it, I think it's only happened once in, in my, in my career as a gym owner. It's not a very common thing. And I feel like if you, if you make it, if you have a good product and, and you're a good person and you make people feel welcome and you're, pers- uh, you're personable, then it doesn't really happen too much. I find people want to quit their contracts if they're not happy with something at the gym or there's gym drama, which we're discussing, or they don't like the instructor or the instruction, then they'll be more inclined to get out of their contract. But I haven't really had those issues. So, you know, that I, I'm a values guy and, and I try and keep, like I said, an open dialogue with my customers and my students. And as a result, they treat me pretty good. So awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, two things to add on to that. One, of course, is that if you if you are offering these uh, like year year at a time plans, this is something that financially you have to prepare for. You don't want to get into a situation where someone asks for their money for a year's money back and you don't have that money anymore. You've got to, yeah, that would be bad. Yeah, just, just as a general good business practice, you need to make sure that you've got enough cash to float the business in case something like this happens or in case there's another emergency like your place floods or, you know, <laughs> I don't know, a car drives through the wall or something like that. Um, another thing to, to bear in mind here too, um, when it comes to one-year agreements uh, or just our long-term agreements is that um, if, if you sign these things as a student, you need to be mindful of the fact that, you know, sometimes gyms come and go. I mean, there, there have been gyms in the area here that 
that I, I know of where, um, you know, they, they would sign someone to a one-year agreement and then the next month the gym's out of business. No, come <laughs> so, on. Um, so you need to be ethical in this too, right? If, yeah. if you think there is a chance that you're not going to be able to honor a one-year agreement because you you have that many questions about your, your, your own solvency, that's something that really, you know, you my my advice is to be ethical and honest and to, to make sure that you can recompensate those people if the worst happens. Um, that's, that's generally what I would suggest. In terms of a lot of these issues regarding non-payment, the best thing that you can do is try to screen people before they come in the door. You want, just like a student wants a quality instructor, as an instructor, you want quality students. You don't want to be so desperate that you'll take anyone in. And you yeah. usually have a good, have either a good or a bad feeling about someone when they walk in that door. And if you get a bad feeling about someone and you think they're going to be trouble, you're probably right. <laughs> yeah. You can save yourself a lot of headaches and not just running a gym, but you know, if you're hiring at a, at a company, if you get a bad feeling about someone right away, you know, you might not be wise giving them the benefit of the doubt. It You might be able to save yourself a lot of headaches by just not entering into that relationship to begin with. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we've discussed this before when we're talking about uh, quality leads Yeah, and how you, as a gym owner, you do want to strive to get quality leads. At first, at first, you're so eager to get people in the door, you'll almost take anyone. But as time goes on and your business starts to, uh, to become profitable, you're definitely going to look for the leads that are, you know, going to contribute in, in other ways, you know, whether they're going to be really welcoming people or they're going to be good training partners or they're, you know, they're, they're great people outside of jujitsu those are all qualities that you want your students you don't want people that are you know overly aggressive uh, you know show up late or or don't pay on time and things like this so definitely as a gym owner you want quality leads and it is up to you as an instructor to kind of regulate the type of people that do come in through the door yeah that makes a lot of sense so another family of issues that can crop up at a gym, and sadly this seems super common in the jiu-jitsu community, is gym drama, which can take a lot of forms. It can be two of your students beefing with each other, a student beefing with an instructor, people beefing with another rival gym. This seems to happen all the time. I mean, <laughs> jiu-jitsu seems to be a pretty drama-prone sport for some reason. Uh, of course, as a gym owner, you don't have the luxury of just avoiding this kind mm -hmm. of drama. If it happens under your roof or even outside of your roof, but under your brand, you have a responsibility to fix that problem. So Matt, how do you approach conflict resolution? So if you find out that, you know, two of your guys are, are having a squabble or maybe they're having a squabble with someone outside of the gym, what is your strategy for smoothing that over? Uh, no time limit, uh, sub only. <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's actually something that's never happened in my school where I have two guys that really get into it or whatever. And, and, um, you know, it's where it becomes hostile. We, we get a lot of, of good, good natured, uh, competition within our school where guys are, you know, they go hard in rounds and, and even start beaking each other much like you would, you know, on, on, on an ice rink during a hockey game. And then after rounds, it's all good. You shake hands and like, you know, it's, you only become better friends from it. It's when that Nate, when the nature of that relationship becomes toxic and actually people <laughs> aren't trying to help each other out anymore, but they're actually trying to prove something to the other person, um, in terms of, of dominance, that's when things get 
you know, a little bit toxic for the environment. And it's, you got to be really careful as a gym owner for that type of stuff because it gets, uh, it's, it's really contagious. Yeah. Other students will notice that and, and, and they, they'll begin to feel uncomfortable or not safe. Um, they won't want to train with those people. And it's, and it, it's something that needs to be dealt with quick. So if, you know, I'm very lucky that I have a lot of good people in my school that, uh, you know, they're, they don't want a conflict. It's a place where guys just want to come and train and laugh and joke and whatever. Um, and that's totally cool. But if, 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 if something like that did happen, it's my responsibility to basically take those two aside and say, hey, you know, what's going on? We got, okay, let's talk. You know, here's the thing they don't tell you about when you when you become a gym owner is that you're actually going to also become a part-time therapist. You're going to become a counselor as well. If people have problems going on outside the mats, it's very important that you actually show an interest in it and have a genuine genuine interest in, in that because um, these people are, are helping you pay the bills and they're coming to you for, for guidance not only on but sometimes off the mat so it is important that you take a general interest in in some of these people's problems and as a result they're going to respect you more for it they're going to remember the times that you were there to listen and all these things so you know maybe maybe who knows maybe a guy's going through a rough patch with his marriage or or things aren't working out on the job or whatever and, and as a result he's very irritable and we have now an issue so it's important that first i would isolate the problem you know don't have this conversation in front of the whole class would be my first recommendation and then i would hear them both out and and uh you know try and come to a consensus where hey this you know ultimately this is an environment where we have to keep things healthy um because it will because of the contagious cancerous nature of of conflict within the school i can't afford to have this spread um and and you know again to to quote extreme ownership i believe that uh leif babin and jocko talk about a, a conflict uh at one of the business relationships where two people literally just refuse i love to, this story it's i a love great, this story it's the greatest that where two people refuse to work with each other um and they refuse to see eye to eye not not just see eye to eye but they actually say you know each they person insists on the other person getting fired. That's right. Each person gives an ultimatum. And in terms of uh, when, when I, if I was to be in charge of, of a, a business and, and I have two employees doing this and one person gives the ultimatum uh, and the other person says, you know, I'll, I'm, you know, kind of neutral or I'm okay with this other person. Usually you, you would eliminate the person who gives the ultimatum because they're the one who is not really willing to reason. And they're not, they're the one who, who, who's, who doesn't have the integrity to actually make it work. So, you know, if it was a situation where two people actually absolutely hate each other's guts and they don't want to, then they both have to go is, is how I would look at it after trying several times to make things work. If it doesn't work, then, you know, they have to be removed. Yeah. So let, let me ask you a question. When you get involved in a problem between two people, do you just get those two people and lock them in a room with yourself and talk it out right away? Or do you have like a one-on-one -on -one with each of them separately first to understand the situation before you get them together? Well, you know, this is a hypothetical situation. It has, it's never happened to me. So, um, I would probably do both. I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if locking in a room is something is a well, way not, that I put not it. Not like literally <laughs> locking them in a room, but like, do you, do you kind of get everyone together and just get it all out in the open or do you approach each person separately first? I'd pro honestly, I'd probably do both. Uh, I don't know what I would do first. Like I said, I haven't had this problem happen yet, but I would, I would want to hear each person's side individually and i would want to have them both in the same room to hear what they have to say and see if we can work something out because i think a lot of the time you know people are so hot-headed at times that yeah we really just 
don't understand each other or we we don't have any interest in understanding the other person um if it's a situation where each person absolutely hates the other and they refuse to to train nice with the other person then they gotta go i mean there's it's it's kind of the best way to deal with it unfortunately you know you want people to get to get get along and to be able to train and healthy and and uh and have a good time but but the other people that come there to pay to train aren't really interested in that drama and they they really don't want to be around that kind of environment so uh you know it comes down to what's best for the group sometimes and even if even if you have someone who's like a really high level competitor but he's a hothead and he you know he fights with people and he gets angry when he he storms off the mats if he ever gets beaten in a role then you know he's got to be dealt with quickly regardless of how good he is right 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 so actually this is the first time we've talked about uh this but there there is an important mental model Model called emotional contagion and basically what this means is that emotions are contagious <laughs> and if you've ever worked in a company with a really negative person um, you know the impact that this can have like it only takes one toxic person to destroy a team that's all it takes so as the gym owner you need to get rid of that person or, or resolve the issue right away and some people are not fixable right some people um, just for whatever reason whether it just be an ingrained personality trait that you can't turn around or maybe there's just a lot of water under the bridge and they're they're just like they, they're you know the, the relationship is so bad that it's not really realistic that you're going to fix it for whatever reason these people exist and you've got to deal with that situation right away because if one person is that visibly openly negative you can be pretty confident that that, that negativity is spreading and it's going to infect the whole gym and you need to really cut it off right away and get to the bottom of it right away as a gym owner if you have conflict or negativity brewing in your gym, you do not want to just kind of like close your eyes and hope that it just goes away on yeah. its own because it will no. not happen. Um, I can tell you as, you know, as a manager at, at, at businesses, you do not ever want to just let conflict play out on its own unregulated because if people... It'll spiral. Yeah, if people are not mature enough to be able to, or if the situation is difficult enough that people cannot manage their own emotions and manage that conflict by themselves, if they're not able to do it by themselves, is just going to get worse and is going to balloon up and up and up and eventually it's going to be impacting everybody. So if two people are not able to resolve conflict on their own, it is your job to then get involved and make sure that that negativity doesn't spread. Um, but again, Matt, to your, you know, like you said, a, a lot of this comes down to just having a positive mindset about the people that you're training with. If you're going in there and you want to beat the people in the gym and you want to be better than them, this kind of conflict is inevitable. But if you legitimately are looking out for the best interests of the people around you, this kind of conflict becomes quite rare. So again, mm-hmm. I think that the best thing you can do is try to instill that that abundance mindset in your team and make sure that everyone is really celebrating the victories of the people around them and not trying to not trying to beat everybody and be better than them but trying to raise the level of everybody and if it's you the gym owner who is creating the conflict you're probably going to lose a lot of students so definitely be mindful of how you behave around your students and encourage a positive training environment or else you're going to pay the price in terms of a how your business is doing. Yeah, if you're the problem, it gets a little bit tricky because it's hard to force yourself to grow and to change. And you really have to have some humility and come to terms with the fact that you have an issue. A lot of this comes down to your ability to actually take feedback and also to understand that when you are in a position of authority, it's going to be hard to get feedback. Um, anyone who's ever been in a position of authority knows this. It's very hard to get the people around you to give you their honest fee- feedback if they're afraid of reprisal. So 
this is something that you need to go out of your way to solicit, to find out from people how you're doing, if you could be doing better, if there's anything that that you're doing that is off-putting. Really, this is about mindfulness, right? You need to be hyper aware of your own actions and get out of your own head and think about what it would be like to, for someone else to perceive you, you know, I put yourself in, the, in a, the the view of a third person. How would you look to someone else just walking into the gym? You know, how does that behavior kind of look or reflect mm-hmm. with your own emotions and your own perspective separated from the equation? Another thing, Matt, that comes up a lot in gyms is integrity issues with students. So sometimes, unfortunately, you find out that students have been engaged in activities outside of the gym that might reflect poorly on the gym. And you need to make a call as to how you want to deal with this. So this can can range from something like a a drug habit to um, criminal activity. In in this case, this one is a little bit murkier because this... You don't want to hold dominion over someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, on one hand, you don't want to make decisions for people in ways that don't impact the training within the gym. You know what? In theory, what someone does on their own time, they do on their own time. But in the real world, you have to be concerned about whether those integrity issues are going to reflect their behavior in the gym. You also have to be concerned about whether that could create a ripple impact within the gym. I mean, you know, if, if for example, someone gets convicted of sexual assault, you probably don't just want to brush that off and then have them training in the gym. So there, so there is a line, Matt, I don't think we've ever been in this situation, but just brainstorming, how would you deal with that situation? Oh, if, God. I don't, um, yeah, this, this is a tough one. Because, I mean, it, it really depends, like, because, because, you know, <laughs> certain criminal, I don't think all criminal activities are equal. Like a sexual assault thing um, is probably something where they're probably not going to be training with me anymore just because uh, it, it it's, uh, it's a matter of ethics and just... I just, you know, it, it, that that's something that I really have no respect for. I feel like if some, if one of my students sexually assaults someone or, or even worse, it's like, well, you know, you're really not going to be a good representation, representation of this company. Mm-hmm. Now, if someone was like, you know, I don't know, uh, selling drugs or something like that, I, again, not, not a good thing, but I feel like it's more forgivable than someone who rapes someone, uh, and then the other example you used was someone who might have like an addiction. That's completely different in my opinion as well. And I, I would want that person to to be, I wanted to help that person. And that's where becoming a therapist and a counselor and a friend also comes with the role of being a gym owner. So I mean, it, it would be a case to case situation. And truthfully, I really don't have a lot of experience on it, but I would have to make a, based on morals and ethics, I would have to make a, a judgment call case to case to decide whether or not that person is still a good fit for the training. If they have have the the ability to to adapt and and uh and to maintain training and and maintain a healthy um you know a healthy personality that impacts the gym in a positive way because if if they're too far gone or if they're you know a if they're a, a sexual uh criminal or something like that then probably a good chance that i'm gonna have to get rid of them yeah this is a really really tricky just because one. of the heinous the the you know the level of, of heinous of the crime yeah and it i mean the thing is the reality is that some thing some personal failings are very much more on the personal side i mean like if you're caught shoplifting that's one thing but when you start talking about things like um violent acts against other people the problem yeah. then is that is you have to now worry about the safety of your own students and at that point it, it really isn't ethical to keep those people around anymore for things like addiction i i agree with you that if you if if people can you know 
can present themselves in a, a mature manner, you still want those people, you want to help those people, right? I mean, you might have to pay special attention to them and maybe, yeah, maybe there are extra concerns around people who have addictions. Um, but at the end of the day, jujitsu is a powerful form of therapy. And if you can keep extra eyes on these people and help them, you, a lot of people have made significant life improvements by adding uh, a, some form of discipline into their lives, yeah. like jujitsu or martial arts. And yeah. if, if you can provide that to someone, that's really one of the highest services that you can provide in in terms of being a representative of jujitsu, but also just in terms of being a good human. Well, that's what I was going to say too, is is how many stories have you heard of people that were, whether they were in gangs or or they were violent or they had uh, drug issues and then they find jujitsu and it totally helps them change their life. Like, are you going <clears> to, <throat> are you going to have that, that sort of a uh, a prerequisite where if you train at my gym, I'm not going to tolerate any of these people because then you're denying a lot of people from actually finding yeah. that thing in life that that improves their life. So mm -hmm. it's so, so and you're also passing a moral judgment on people where it you probably don't really have business to do so because a lot of these things have little to no impact on your actual business. Yeah, like it, I'll I'll give I'll be honest, I'll give almost any like everyone a chance. You know, I think everyone deserves a chance to prove that they can, you know peacefully coexist with other people they can be in a good training environment and practice and you know and and begin their jujitsu journey now if someone comes to me and they're a registered sex offender or something like that probably going to keep them away from my flock just because i feel like i need to protect my team um but you know it's going to be a case-to-case -case scenario based upon that person's ethics and their personality and you know and yeah that's you know that's basically it on a lighter note gym relationships Anything around that that we need to discuss? I mean, for me, it would be very hypocritical for me to say anything bad about that because I met my wife at jiu-jitsu. <laughs> exactly. I mean, uh, I've, I've never had a gym relationship, nor uh, have I had students that have done that. But I do know many people close to me that have had gym relationships. Um, here's my recommendation on that. It's kind of like if you, you know, if you meet someone on your commute to work... And you go out with them and you date for months and then you break up. Then you got to, you got to see them every time you go to work, right? After that. So it's, it's kind of like even though you break up with them, there's, they're a painful reminder of you every day in life. So, uh, if you're a student and you, you, you know, you fall in love or you go out with someone in your class and, and, uh, you, you know, and then you break up. Just realize that when you go into it, that getting together, there's going to be risks and, Un, you know, it's going to be uncomfortable if you do break up and, and things go sour and then you're going to have to coexist in the gym. And if you can't coexist in the gym, one of you or both of you has to go. And that's kind of how it is if it becomes toxic again. So know the risks of relationships going into it. Uh, if you're the instructor and you're going to have relationships, oh, that's with a students, very different conversation, very different conversation. And like I said, I'm, I'm very close with people that I know have done this. And, uh, as a gym, I mean, I'm, I'm married happily, but as a gym owner, I would just say, stay clear of it because, um, who knows who, what these people turn into if things go sour, you know? Uh, how do you know that this is this relationship is worth it um, if your business is on the line? And how do you know that this relationship is sustainable enough where you might get married with, to this person one day? And, you know, do you want to have a marriage where you see your wife every day on the mats? And, you know, like, uh, it's just, it's kind of messy. And it's something that personally I would steer clear of. That's my personal recommendation. Um, 
And I think that that would keep your life a lot more simple and keep the training environment happier for other people. But that's just my opinion. Uh, if you're if you're a student and you fall for another student, know the risks of having a relationship and having a breakup and still having to see the person in class every day. And if you do that, uh, realize that you have zero right to make it uncomfortable for other people. And that, uh, if, if you do, then you rightfully should be eliminated from the training environment. Yeah. I mean, from, from my perspective, I'm totally in favor of gym relationships. I don't see any problem with it, but you do like with any relationship, you need to be an adult, and if it doesn't work out, you need to have you need to make sure that both parties are on the same page about this. That they will be adults about it if it doesn't work out. Um, this is, and of course, this applies to whether you want to date someone at work as well, right? You know, you you need to be an adult because you don't want to bring unnecessary conflict onto your team. <laughs> you don't want to have to have that conflict resolution discussion that we already cover or covered exactly. in the con- in the context of you dating someone in the gym. Yeah. I mean, it's from my perspective is totally fine i would i would let the instructor know um but i i see i think it's totally fine just as long as you can maintain professionalism and maturity around it and afterward if you're the instructor i I don't think it's nearly as much of a problem as like if you're like a boss dating an employee at work that's that's going to get you into a whole series of problems you don't want to have um you know if you're at a gym uh basically a trainer dating a student i don't think is the end of the world but you do have to understand that this is going to come with some pitfalls right like matt said you know what what happens if it doesn't work out? Um, what happens if it does work out? How are other students going to perceive that? Are you going to yeah. be perceived as, you know, t- playing favorites with that person? Like, it's just, it's not the end of the world, but these are things that you're going to have to make sure you have an answer for and you, you've kind of are in agreement about how you're going to deal with upfront. Yeah. Cause there's a lot of negative repercussions that can happen and you really have to like assess, is it worth uh, the immediate pleasure of being in a relationship to the consequences of this person possibly turning out to be a crazy person. Next thing you know, they're smearing you. They're smearing your business on social media. Nowadays, everyone has a voice online, right? So uh, it's going to be very easy for them to have their experience known if something goes wrong. And maybe maybe you didn't even do anything wrong, but they decided that they're in spite, they're going to now you know, take, uh, take liberties upon you and your own business. So you really have to assess, is this worth it for me? Or, you know, should I, uh, should I keep my, my business and my personal life somewhat separate? And that, that would be my personal recommendation, but, but that's just me. Got it. So one other thing I wanted to talk about is cult mentality and cult tactics. And when a lot of people hear this, they think, what are you talking about? Like Jonestown? The reality is that most cults are not that severe. Like, I'm not talking about creating a gym where everyone, like, you know what I was going to say where everyone wears weird outfits and does weird rituals but then I realized <laughs> a lot all, a lot of gyms actually do where that. they all wear the same outfit <laughs> yeah. well what, what I mean is you know like I, I'm not talking about like some cra- you know crazy like movie cult type thing I'm, but I'm talking about more uh, tactics that gym owners can use to exploit people or, or to bring out the worst in people um, what you want to avoid if you're running a gym and conversely if you're looking for a gym to attend you want to avoid situations where you're kind of creating a cult of personality and there's like a degree of hero worship around you if you're nobody probably pretty easy to avoid that but if you are actually a relatively well-known person you know you don't want a situation where uh, there's a degree of like hero worship around you um, you definitely don't want 
on a situation where you kind of like try to break people. <laughs> you know, th- this is a, a common tactic in, in a lot of martial arts schools is they try to like break you and then build you back up again. Hazing. Yeah, so hazing. So they'll basically like beat the hell out of you and then they'll try to build you back up. Oh, that God. is a very psychologically damaging and possibly illegal thing to do. Um, <laughs> don't do it. You also have, you have no right as a gym owner to inflict like physical or unreasonable forms of punishment. We talked about this earlier. You have no right to demand loyalty from people. Uh, you are ultimately a glorified personal trainer. I know people don't yep. want to hear that in the jujitsu world. You, we want to think that, hey, this is this big mystical art that goes back thousands and thousands of years. But like, look, dude, you're you're a gym trainer, right? Like that's, that's ultimately yep. what you're doing. And you don't want to inf- have a sense of grandeur that is above and beyond that. Um, you have no right to force people to be loyal to you. Um, you also have no right to abuse the power that you do have. You have to understand that you will be perceived with a degree of authority, but you don't want to create like a caste system within your gym no. where there's, you know, where there, there's like the, 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 the high level people and then the low level people. We talked about that earlier about how toxic that can be to a, uh, to a gym. You never want to make expectations of people that they have to disconnect from their friends and their family. And you never want to exile someone if they leave their own, their own gym. To some of you, this might sound crazy and I hope it does. I hope you've never experienced this, but this is actually very common in the jujitsu community, especially yeah. where when you leave a gym, the instructor says, no one's allowed to talk to that person anymore. Like you, yep. you, you have absolutely no right to make such a demand. And these are the common tactics of, of cults, right? Like the, um, when you kind of like loop people into cults that financially exploit people, these are the kind of tactics they use. Um, additionally, you also have to be very mindful of the fact that you have, you know, you charge students a fee and that is all you're entitled to from them. You are not entitled to any extra money from them. You are not entitled to extra time from them. You you have no entitlement to have these people come to your gym and do free work for you. If you have these kinds of, if your students want to do that, hey, that's great. It's great when you want to help a friend. But if you are demanding this of your students and if that's an expectation, mm-hmm. you might be a cult. <laughs> and that's probably yeah. something you should think about. And I know for a lot of you, a lot of you are probably thinking, well, then some of this stuff doesn't sound too bad. My gym does it and it's not that bad. Um, if your gym is doing that, you might be in a cult and you, yeah. you might want to consider that, right? Your, your relationship with your gym should be more along the lines of, these are some friends that I train with and we've all kind of got a common hobby and we all want to get better together. Um, if there's any more, if there's a higher level of authority or a higher level of expectation in there, it can get very dangerous. So just something to, to think about. God, you expect me to follow that? You just hit every nail on the head. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So actually, a big thank you to uh, Matt Kirtley. Uh, some of you guys probably know him better as Aesopian. He's a pretty well-known guy in the jiu-jitsu community. And he gave me a lot of these notes on this because this is something that he has been researching for quite a while. Uh, mm-hmm. A pet project of his has been trying to um, identify and bring awareness to cult mentality and martial arts. So, it, I mean, yeah. jiu-jitsu is probably not as bad as some of the more traditional martial arts for this, but it does still happen. And I think that all of us have an obligation to call it out when we see it. So Yeah, I, I really like how you said how uh, that gym owners and, and black belts are essentially glorified personal trainers. <laughs> they totally that's, are, right? That's um, like that's, that's perfectly 100% true. Uh, and when you get your black belt, people start calling you professor and, and there's nothing you can really do about it. And, and you notice that, especially the lower ranks, look at you as if you're some kind of like mythical master of some sort. And... Um, you know, like it's just a belt and, and maybe you've dedicated years of your life to this art and you've, you've helped a lot of people. That's where I think, um, 
true authority comes from is not you being in a place of authority, but of people respecting you so much and wanting to be around you so much and looking to you for guidance and, and knowing that you invest time in them. That's the authority that I'm more interested Mm in. I'm not interested in the authority where, uh, you train at my school. So therefore I'm the boss. You have to do, uh, what the techniques I say, you're not allowed to talk to certain people. You're not allowed to train in other places. That's a, that's negative stuff. Uh, it's more, I want the kind of authority where people are, um, you know, because I've been good to people over time, people gravitate to you and are quote loyal to you because of the time that you've invested in them. More of an organic, natural, positive authority, not, not something where, you know, (laughs) you have dominion over somebody. Yeah. There's a great quote from the uh, Tao Te Ching, which says the, the master is content to serve as an example and not impose her will. And I think that's a super important mentality to have, right? If, if your idea of being a leader or an authority is to order people around, you're not very good at your job, right? What you should be trying to do is set an example that is so compelling that people are inspired to follow in your footsteps. That is by far the strongest approach to leadership. Yeah, and the most sustainable one, I think people will take you most seriously and will be more, quote, loyal to you if that is your mindset, as opposed to trying to be the uh, totalitarian. Got it. Okay, so a few more minutes. Let's talk about the really ugly stuff. <laughs> so, um, one, one item that does inevitably come up in almost every gym is bullying. And bullying is a, a very loaded term. I mean, I, bullying can be intentional, but it can also be unintentional, right? Sometimes uh, people intentionally go out of their way to make other people miserable. Sometimes people do it by accident. Um, for example, a lot, it's very, very common for, um, like, especially like a more senior or a stronger or just a really big guy to like kind of like make friends with the little guy and just keep rolling with him over and over again and not realize that he's making this poor guy's life miserable because he's kicking his ass every single class. Now, we talked earlier about how that can actually be good for you, but you kind of have to want it, right? It, it's one thing for you as a little guy to go and seek out bigger, stronger opposition and get smashed so that you can get better. It's another thing if the bigger, stronger opposition is seeking you out against your will. Because yeah. it can be hard in a class to say, no, I don't want to roll with you, right? Especially if yeah. you're like a, if you're a casual like me and some really like intense guy wants to roll with you and you're thinking, oh man, I'm going to go home with a black eye. You know, um, this can make it really unpleasant if that, you, you know, you kind of have these people always wanting to roll with you. And um, so there's two sides to this. There is like actual bullying where you're intentionally making someone miserable, but then there is like the accidental side of things. Um, but both of these can have the same effect where people, if you are, don't notice this happening in your gym, you're going to have people leaving your gym and you won't even know why, right? I mean, I've, I've trained at places where these people exist and I'm sure that a lot of students were lost because no one addressed this problem. Mm-hmm. So Matt, I'm, I'm guessing that in your gym, this is probably not something that's come up, but I'm, I'm sure you've also seen it happen before in gyms. Yes. Um, how do you deal with these kinds of situations where there is either advertent or inadvertent bullying of students? Um, for me, privately and swiftly, uh, just like we said before, I try and isolate the problem. For, first of all, you bring up a really good point where you might not realize what's mm-hmm. going on. And, and that has happened to me, not, not in terms of bullying, but other things where, uh, you know, especially in kids class, if a kid lips off a parent and, and it goes without me noticing, and then all of a sudden another parent tells me, Hey, th- that kid sort of like lipped off their, their, uh, their, their parent and you, di- and you didn't really notice. So I just wanted to bring it to your attention. It's like, thank you for telling me that because I, I can't have eyes everywhere at once. Mm-hmm. So it's important that uh, if you are a student at a gym and you see something like this, you should tell your 
instructor. Uh, don't just stay quiet because maybe your instructor doesn't know about it. And hopefully once they do know about it, they take action and deal with it. Because again, this is all toxic, uh, toxic behavior that will spread throughout the gym. And, and you don't want to be the instructor that is known as the guy who doesn't deal with bullies or, mm-hmm. or lets things go. And then before you know it, all hell's breaking loose and the environment's totally thrown off. Um, yeah. Bullying can't be tolerated. I, I, like I said before, like w- me and a few guys at the gym, you know, they come hard at me. I go hard at them and, and we kind of kick the piss out of each other, but it's all in good fun. It's all, mm-hmm. you know, it's all, we're all buddies. None of it is, is actually me, you know, trying to be an asshole or, or to condone that kind of behavior. You need an ass kicking that is based on explicit mutual consent. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. Like, like it's kind of like, you know, most guys when they're friends kind of, kind of make fun of each other and call each other names and, and, and ha- have fun with it and, the, and they don't take offense to it. And that makes more, you know, it really makes for more of a fun atmosphere, whether you're training or you're at work or just your friends or whatever. Um, but when it becomes, you have to know when things are getting toxic. For instance, if it's like a new guy and he's, he doesn't know someone who's maybe higher ranked or like you said, bigger and stronger, and he's getting bullied by that person, that needs to be dealt with. And it has to be dealt with by the instructor because like you, like the, the person who's getting bullied might not want to say anything. They might think that, uh, you know, they might I'm think a- this is normal. I, I can't yeah. say, I, this is my first day. I can't say anything. About exactly. This. Or maybe I'll p- be perceived as a coward. Yeah. If, if, if I, if I say something or if I do, if I don't want to roll with a certain person or whatever, uh, you know, on another note, you have the right to refuse roles with anyone, uh, is my true, true belief. Mm-hmm. It's up to the instructor to foster an atmosphere where everyone is, uh, you're able to train with everyone and everyone can offer somebody something good. And, uh, if you feel like the person you're training with puts you at risk or is, is, uh, puts you out of danger, you have every right to say, you know, not this round or whatever. And you have every right to really, uh, pass that information on to your instructor because this is all stuff that the head instructor does need to know about. And if your head instructor does know about it or you tell them and they basically say, oh, yeah, that's how it is here. Oh, yeah. Don't you know you're wasting my time. It's probably a good idea to train somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. As as an instructor, you need I mean, as we said earlier, the ideal solution is that two people resolve a problem amongst themselves, right? Like the perfect world scenario is one guy says to another, hey, you're rolling really hard and I I don't like going to work with black eyes. So if we could lay off, lay off that, that would be great. That's the perfect world scenario. In reality, it might not always go down that smoothly or maybe someone just isn't comfortable having that chat. And as an instructor, that's where you have to get involved. You need to take ownership of the situation because if you don't, it's going to spread and it's going to get worse. And if you realistically, if you've got someone who's making one person uncomfortable, they're probably making a lot more people uncomfortable and those people just didn't talk to you about it. So you need to assume that if one person complains, there's like a whole bunch of other people feeling the exact same way. Yeah. Like I said, if you're an instructor, you're also a therapist, a counselor. (laughs) Sometimes a babysitter. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You have to be able to, uh, you know, I'm not saying you need to to know everything about everyone, but if somebody in the room has is a is a cancer and is a cancerous uh, training partner and has that personality that clearly needs a lot of uh, tailoring. That's up to you to make sure that uh, you regulate the environment and you talk to that person. You give them the necessary feedback and opportunity to improve. And if they don't, they need to be eliminated. Yeah, and, and another thing to point out: if you, as an instructor, are not comfortable having these kinds of difficult conversations and you you tend to avoid them, don't be an instructor. Yeah, you, yeah, you better get comfortable or stop being an instructor because. 
it's going to happen. It's going to be expected of you that you deal with these kinds of situations. And if you don't, your gym is going to fall apart. So you absolutely, as an instructor, need to either be comfortable having these kinds of conversations or getting comfortable having them. Um, one other thing to talk about on the topic of harassment is kind of probably the, the darkest of the dark side of jujitsu, and that is sexual harassment. Um, this is not an area of expertise for me um, by any stretch, but it, we would be remiss to not mention it because I think everyone probably knows this is a real problem in the jujitsu community, honestly. And whenever you get a situation where you have people who have an unchecked level of authority, this is always going to happen. There's always going to be some sort of abuse, right? It, it's not necessarily sexual harassment, but whenever you have a situation where one party has authority over the other and there's no check and balance, it always eventually is going to go sideways given enough time. Um, and in the jiu-jitsu community, the reality is that, you know, most of the senior instructors are going to be male. Um, and there, are, if you have female instructor, female students there or even female instructors there, they are going to get subjected to this at some point. And this is a, an ugly, terrible situation to have to deal with because unfortunately with sexual harassment, usually by the time you found out about it, it's way too late and the damage has already been done. Like the the ideal solution is if you can prevent this from ever happening by preemptively removing the, the problem person from the gym. But when we talk about sexual harassment, we're usually talking about something that's already happened. And now your responsibility is to deal with the fallout. So Matt, I mean, I know that this is totally hypothetical because we've never had to deal with this. But like, let's say that a female student comes to you and says that someone in my gym sexually harassed me. I mean, that's a delicate situation mm -hmm. um, because not only is um, is this, um, you know, a, a form of harassment, but unlike um, something like bullying, this is something that probably needs to involve police as well. So, mm -hmm. Matt, how would how would you deal with a situation like this hypothetically if it came up? I mean... Um, well, like you said, it's a real, it's, it's a really touchy situation. First of all, I, I would need to know exactly what happened because, you know, there's a difference between hitting on someone and full on raping someone. You know, it's a very large spectrum of, of, of negative things that can happen to a person. So I would need to know the context. I would need to know, uh, like what were, were you, was there at, were you, uh, was there a relationship between you two ever, or is this just something that this person started to impose upon you out of the blue? Um, you know, what are sort of the, what are the details behind it? And then I would immediately have to go and talk to that person. If it's, if it's at a level where it's straight up, like, you know, God forbid, it's like a rape or something, you have to go to the police and you have to do it right away, in my opinion. Um, because that, if you allow that to happen in your school, um, it's just, you know, there's so many things that are wrong with it. First of all, if you allow it to have it, uh, you're a bad instructor and probably a pretty bad person too. Um, that person needs to be punished. You know, to, to, like I said, there's a difference between hitting on, on someone and, uh, you know, actually assaulting someone. If it's like a lighter, if it's a lighter situation, like there's a guy in the gym that's hitting on me or whatever, and I, and it's making me uncomfortable. I think that that can be dealt with by talking to that person. And I don't think that the law necessarily needs to get involved. But if this guy is like, you know, he, he walks you to your car and then all of a sudden he makes a move on you and he tries to force himself and, and ugly things happen, then yeah, you, you know, go to the, go to the police for sure. And, um, I, I think that the instructor should support that person rather than, you know, make them an outcast or, 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 you know, uh, accuse them of lying or things like that. These things all have to be taken case to case and very seriously. So, 
Yeah, yeah. This is a tough one because, I, and I, I mean, I should point out here that neither Matt nor I are lawyers. We're not law enforcement. This is not a legal opinion or advice. I mean, this is just hypothetical based on how I, I think I would ha- I would react if this happened in the gym I was running. Um, for me, I, I think this is a, you know, on one hand, you want to have a process for making sure that this is handled professionally. But on the other hand, you probably have to take immediate action as well, right? Especially if there is a chance that, I mean, yes, there's always the possibility that this was a, you know, someone was wrongfully accused or it was a misunderstanding. But regardless, because of the nature of the the accusation, I think you immediately need to uh, quarantine the person who was accused. I mean, not necessarily blow anything up, but you basically need, I think you need to basically tell them like, look, until we get this resolved, we can't have you back here. Just in the off chance that you honestly, probably the more than likely chance that there's some truth to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's, yeah, you want to definitely make sure that you understand all sides of the story. You want to talk to, you want to talk to the accuser. You want to talk to the accused. You also want to get some sort of third party confirmation from other people in the gym, just mm-hmm. to make sure that you, you've done that. Um, and yeah, if, at some point, if it's actually a crime that was committed, like so you definitely want to escalate this to the police. Um, I would say, though, with the caveat that you want to do that in participation with the person who who's making the accusation like you a, a lot of the time i know people don't want to have their name dragged into the public on this stuff um i i would make you know i would want to make sure that i'm i'm make you know i'm going to the police in conjunction with the person making the accusation i wouldn't just do it without telling them i'm doing it um and i also wouldn't necessarily make this a big public thing and put their name and put the accused's name out there unless she wanted that because a lot a lot of the time you know you this is not the kind of thing that people want to be known for right people don't want to be known as a sexual assault victim so unless that person is okay with me speaking publicly about it i would not do so yep 100 percent yeah. agree so i that said though i i want to point out here these are these are areas where <laughs> matt and i are far from experts and there may actually be best practices here which are not in line with what we just talked about so if anyone out there actually has ex- experience dealing with this kind of situation or if you're an expert in that area i'd actually love to hear from you and maybe get some feedback and we could provide it on future episodes as to like how did what what actually you should do in these situations from the perspective of someone who's been through it before anything else matt that you wanted to cover no that's good that's pretty heavy and please don't give us hateful comments or i will verbally spar with you online (laughs) look matt's got a lot of things to do he's a new parent he's actually got another one on the way he's got a lot of stuff that he has to do and i really don't want you guys taking up all of his time like (laughs) making him talk crap to you on youtube because if you if you do i'm not sure matt can actually not respond so he's probably (laughs) going to get dragged down this rabbit hole and waste a lot of his time and then his wife is going to be mad at me so please just let him be Uh, anyway (laughs) Mental models that we discussed in this episode, of course, we talked about extreme ownership. That is probably the most important thing when you are a gym owner. You are accountable for everything that happens under your roof and also under your brand. You need to take action to fix the problem, even if you weren't the one who created it. Uh, An abundance mindset. You need to foster a mindset of uh, the people in your gym being happy for the successes of each other. It shouldn't be about trying to to beat or or destroy someone else. You should celebrate their wins as much as your own. And a lot of the problems that can happen in a gym don't happen if everyone has that mindset. We talked about emotional contagion. 
meaning um, making sure that you understand that emotions are contagious, especially negativity. If you've got one person who's really negative and you let that be unchecked, it's going to spread to other students and you want to address that promptly. We also talked about mindfulness, meaning that you need to be aware of your perception as an instructor. In some cases, the source of the negativity may might actually be you. And it's very hard to accept that you might be the one who is doing something wrong. People don't like to acknowledge that they have faults. So you have to look at yourself from the perspective of a third person. You know, how would someone else not emotionally invest, invested in me look at the situation? And you also have to actively solicit feedback because you have to understand that people are less likely to provide feedback to an authority figure. They're just not going to be comfortable doing that. Yep. Matt, anything else you wanted to add on this topic? Uh, no, I hope this helped you guys out. And um, yeah, if you're a gym owner and you have a bunch of students leaving, reassess what you're doing. Yeah, if you're seeing a pattern there, probably a reason. And I, I think that at that point, you need to really exhibit some mindfulness. Really take a look from the, the perspective of a third party. You know, how would this look to someone else if this were someone else doing this? And try to really get to the bottom of it. Because, uh, you know, as they say, the, the common the common pattern in all of your failures in life is you. Yeah. <laughs> so Un, Unsuccessful people blame others and successful people take extreme ownership and look at themselves. So Great feedback. Yeah. Cool. So one other thing I wanted to to clarify, not really a, a question, but something that someone actually brought up in discussion about this podcast is they mentioned that um in earlier episodes, we referenced learning styles and we talked about that as a mental model. And someone pointed out that um, from a scientific standpoint, learning styles are, they're not, they're hardly scientific at all. Um, they were originally floated as a theory and they've been pretty disproven in practice. So um, if you actually think that you can like isolate someone and be like, you are a visual learner and then only give them visual learning material. If, if that's your plan, probably not going to go well. But but that's, to be clear, when Matt and I are talking about learning styles, we are not proposing you do that. Like, I'm, we're not suggesting that you, like, cut your class in half and say, you are the, this is the visual learner side of the yeah. class and this is the audio learner side of the class. Um, that's called segregation. Yes. <laughs> what, what you need to understand, though, is that different techniques uh, for um, different strategies for learning might be more appropriate in different situations. So And more effective for yeah, different people. Exactly, exactly. And it, it can also vary based on where people are at in their development, right? Like as an example, let's say that I'm sitting down with someone who knows nothing about jujitsu. The mistake that I think a lot of people make is they immediately go visual. So they'll be like, okay, well, I'm going to give you a 12-step demo on how to do an arm bar. Like honestly, most gyms do that and it's kind of a bad approach for a new person because I think that for a new person, the most valuable thing you can give them is a lecture about what is jujitsu? What are the, the strategies and philosophies behind jujitsu? And once someone has a bit of familiarity with that, then you can start giving them the step-by-step tutorials, right? I, I think that this is a common mistake that gyms make is just jumping right into the how-to. And the when you give someone that initial upfront explanation of jujitsu, I kind of see that more of like, that's the oral portion of the, of the presentation, right? I'm explaining to you what this thing is. Then once someone really gets it and they say, oh, okay, I understand alignment. I understand what at a high level what this is. Then you can start showing them actual examples and applications. And similarly, 
no matter how many times you watch people show you jujitsu, you're never going to be good at jujitsu until you do it. That's and, true. but on the, on the flip side, if you just throw someone into the deep waters without giving them any context, they're really going to struggle. So if, uh, you know, my, my suggestion is always like break it down in phases. First, you want to explain verbally to someone what it is that they're doing from a philosophical standpoint. Then you can show them, but then you've got to give them practice to actually do it because they're going to hit roadblocks and you need to help them troubleshoot those roadblocks. So in that sense, I think that that's what I mean when I talk about learning styles, right? I'm not suggesting that you like tag someone as an audio learner and you only ever give them audio material. I'm just saying that all of these are different teaching tools that have a place and you want to use the best tool for the job and understand that often the best results come from a combination of all of these tools. That's right. And I don't think I can really add too much to that guy. Steve pretty much put it uh, as clearly as possible. We're not trying to um, you know, label people as specific types of learners. Uh, I, I'm, I'm several types of learner. Uh, I, I learn in a lot of different ways, more so visually and by mimicking. That's sort of how I mm-hmm. got good at cooking was trying to mimic the techniques I was seeing. But that doesn't mean that I'm not going to be, uh, it's not going to be beneficial for me to do hands on learning or audio learning as well. Um, we're simply just, you know, hoping that people can sort of identify what works for them and then they can seek out resources in those mediums. So, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty extreme to say that we want to <laughs> say, oh, you, you're an audio learner. So only listen to, to audio or whatever. Yeah. The yeah. truth is you can learn from many resources. You can learn from almost any rank of, of training partner. And, uh, you know, we, we just want you to think about that when you're trying to absorb information. Yeah. That's all. Absolutely. Well, I think this was a good chat. I hope you guys find it helpful. And as always, especially with this episode, if you have any feedback or any ideas or points you'd like to add, please just do let me know. Be happy to discuss them in future episodes. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks, guys.